Okay, if you have a Bible with you, please open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So what began as a one-of message has evolved into an extended series of messages on the topic, the powerless place. I'll just quickly touch on what we've covered so far. In the first message, we looked at uh, 2 Corinthians 12.9, great classic verse where God says to the Apostle Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God's ways are not our ways, right? We would think that his power is made perfect in the strong and the mighty, in the famous and the powerful. It's made perfect in weakness. In the second in the message, we touched on the concept of the dark night of the soul. And we looked at Jesus' prayer from Mark 14, where it says, Going a little further, this is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Third message in the series, we looked at Jesus' very kind and merciful words from Matthew 11, verses 28 and following, where he says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. And I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I like that Jesus. I like that Jesus. I like that God. I've been a Christian a long time. For a long time, that's not the picture that was painted for me. How about you? Is that a good picture? I like that it's the weak and the burden that he'll give rest to. Man, for all too often I heard, get your act together. You know? Be the happy, shiny people. You know? Show no weakness. Confess no brokenness. Admit to no pain. He says, come to me. Not hide from me. Come to me. Whew. I like that, Jesus. The following week, we looked at the call and the anointing of David to be king from 1 Samuel 16, specifically the second half of verse 7, where God says to the mighty prophet Samuel, he says, the Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. Truly his ways are not our ways. Not a one of us would have voted for David. Not one. Too young. Too inexperienced. I mean, hey, they didn't even invite him to the meeting when they were picking a king. And that's who God chose. The one that people, even family, don't invite to the meeting, <laughs> that's the one God picks. His ways are not our ways. In the fifth in the series, we looked at Jesus' words from John 12 where he says challengingly, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. Well, anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. The kingdom of God operates on a paradigm that's diametrically opposite from the kingdom of this world. In the sixth on the series, I took you through Psalm 23. I don't think I've ever preached on Psalm 23 before. And verse 4 was most poignant for the, for the series, the powerless place. Where David writes, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, back in the old days, before I had some understanding of the Father's love and what grace really is, I'd read that verse and it would terrify me. It would. I'm going to get whacked with the rod. I'm going to get hammered with the staff. That's exactly what I'm thinking. Why is that comforting? That's not comforting. Not a little kid, elementary school, a Catholic elementary school. We had a teacher with a, a yardstick. And so we had these little desks. 
And I'd want to sit sideways because that was cool, one little leg standing out. Man, she'd come down that aisle whipping that yardstick. Whap, whap, whap. And if your leg happened to be sticking out, you'd get it right across the side of the leg. And if you did something wrong, she'd call you up front. Have you bend over in front of the whole class and whoop you behind. And get this, if she hit you so hard that that yardstick broke, you had to go home and tell your parents and come in with money the next day for a new yardstick. Holy cow. It's no wonder my image of God concerning the rod and the staff might be a little distorted, right? Reminds me of sitting at the dinner table with my family, you know. <laughs> Get your elbows off the table. Don't talk with food in your mouth. <laughs> Wow, wow, wow. But that's not what the rod and the staff were for. They were the comforter he would use as a good shepherd. He would use the rod and the staff to protect us in the valley of the shadow of death from those things that would come to try and attack us. Isn't that different? The wrath of God is not expended against his people. It's to protect us. He's so much better than we thought he is. He's with us in the valley of the shadow of death. He's not standing at the rim looking down into the valley and saying, Hey, get up here. What's wrong with you? What are you doing down there? Whap. <laughs> He's with us in the valley. He's with us in the powerless place. He's with us in the dark night of the soul. Last week in the seventh message on the series, we took a look at Paul's words to the philosophers at Athens, specifically Acts 17, verse 26. Just a great verse. Powerful verse. This is what, what Paul says to them in debate. He says, From one man, he, God, made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out, get this, he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. So since the beginning... God's been determining when and where. When you would live in the timeline of human history, and he picked that you would be right here, right now. And he has set the geographical boundaries, the land in which you would live. Oh. You know, sometimes when we're in the powerless place, we feel lost. Life is overwhelming. We're taking hits on every side. Things are not making sense. We can't catch our breath. We can't figure out what's going on. You feel lost. I get the feeling, man. I've been there. But this is what God's Word saying. The one who said He'd never leave us or forsake us is the same one who has set your when and your where. And if He knows the when of when you would exist in time and where He would place you geographically, then you're not lost. Because he's with you. And he's never lost. And here's the other good thing I told you last week. If he knows your when and your where, he knows your what and your why and your how. He'll get you to your destiny. It's not too hard for him. God loves you. So today, <laughs> I say this prophetically. I'm going to finish the series. <laughs> I think I'm going to finish the series. feels like this is the last message in the series. I'll complete the series with a look at some practical ways, practical tips on how to actually get out of the power, powerless place. Hey, if we're in the powerless place, if we're going through a dark night of the soul or the valley of the shadow of death, what, what do we want? We want out. We want out of that place and into a better place. I'll offer you some practical tips on how we can get out of the powerless place. And so let's begin with a few popular verses. I really want to look at verse 13, but we're going to begin with 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 8. You all know these verses. Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and he's teaching them about love, and he says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. Thank you. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. That's got to be underlined in your Bible. 
You know that in Scripture, it tells us that God is love. God is love, right? 1 John 4, 1 or something. God is love. God is love. And so here, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul's describing to us the attributes of our God who's love. It says, he's describing God. Do you get that? God is not easily angered. God keeps no record of wrongs. Is that what it says, that he keeps no record of wrongs? Is that in your book too? That's in my book. He keeps no record. He's not easily angered, and he keeps no record of wrongs. That's not the God I grew up with. I like this God. I can trust this God. I feel safe with this God. He's not easily angered. I love my father. He's a sweet old man now. We get along wonderfully. You know, it wasn't that way growing up. He was an angry man. Had a vicious temper. He was easily angered. When he walked in the door, everyone was on eggshells. And we did everything we could not to trigger an angry outburst. I thought God was just like him. So I had to watch my step. I was going to that rod and that staff. Wow. But this is the word of God saying that he's not easily angered. And he keeps no record of wrongs. Would God put a standard? If, this, if I'm reading this wrong, and this is saying how we're supposed to operate, is the standard higher for you and me than it is for God? Is that what the text is saying? God can keep an account of wrongs. God can be easily angered, but you're not allowed to. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. That's not who he is. God is love. And love is not easily angered, and love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. The only entity in all the universe for whom the word always can be applied is God. God always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I haven't had a chance to do it, but I'm betting I could do is it saying something different up there? No. Well, can I say something? Sure. When you were saying right now that God had come to cross, God is love. God is love. So if you look at love as God and you insert God into all the love spots, it reads, you know, very personally. But if you um, if you give hope to Jesus and faith to the Holy Spirit, it creates the Trinity. You just took the words out of my mouth. I was just about to say that I haven't had a chance to work it all out. But I'm betting if we do some study, we could certainly make some application between faith, hope, and love and applying them to the different members of the Trinity. Honestly, they could probably just take the name tags, spin them around wherever the wheel lands, and it works for them. But yes, I was thinking exactly that same thing. So... It says here that faith, hope, and love remain. The greatest of these is love. The word remain there. I like that word. Remain means to tarry or to dwell or to abide. It means basically it's not going to depart, not going to leave. They are continually present with us. They last. They endure. They survive. They do not perish. These three, faith, hope, and love, Father, Son, and Spirit, they stay with us. So let's take a look at these remaining three and see if they can offer us clues on the way out of the powerless place. Let's start with, with faith. Now the word for faith here in the Greek is pistis, and I've taught you guys this many, many times. When you read in the New Testament, when you read words faith, believe, or belief, in your mind, think trust. 
I believe that trust is a most accurate translation. No, that's not how I want to say it. Trust more accurately communicates the biblical intent and meaning of the word pistis. If you translate the Greek, faith, believe, or belief are accurate and adequate. But to apply it to our culture today, because the meanings of words change over time, right? When you read faith, believe, or belief, think trust. Because I think it communicates most accurately the biblical meaning and intent of the word pistis in today's culture. The concept communicated here isn't intellectual agreement. What is being communicated here is relational trust. So when we, have, when we hear faith, what we're saying is, God, I trust you. I trust you. Heard a teaching once. Can't remember the guy's name now. Drawing a blank. But he talked about the ABCs of faith. And he said that faith was a verb. He said you could actually call it faithing, or the activity of faith. The ABCs of faith, that faith is an action based upon a belief sustained by confidence. An action based upon a belief sustained by confidence. That's another way of saying trust, right? I take an action of walking across a bridge. And I take that action based upon the belief that the bridge is going to hold me up. Because you know what? The last time I walked over that bridge, guess what it did? Held me up. Confederation Bridge. How about that? a good one. Right? Man, first time we drove over that bridge, freaked Nadine out. We're in a truck. We're up high. That's a long bridge. Right? So we've been over that bridge many times. We've taken the action of driving across the bridge based upon the belief that the bridge is going to hold us up even if we got a big old truck filled with all our stuff. Why? We're sustained by the confidence that the last time we drove over the bridge it held, we trust the bridge. Right? I can take actions of faith based upon confidence based upon belief, sustained by confidence with God. Because the last time I took an action of faith, guess what? He held me up. And so I trust him for the next time. I have a bridge that God's put in front of me I need to cross. Does that make sense? Action, based upon the belief, sustained by confidence. So let's look at a great, classic trust verse. All of you guys have heard this before. And it's Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. So we're looking for ways out of the dark night of the soul, out of the powerless place, out of the valley of the shadow of death, <clears throat> out of the wilderness. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he'll make your path straight. Hmm. So Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, it offers us directions. And it starts off with trusting the Lord with all your heart. That's a great idea. Wonderful concept. Couldn't agree more. So much easier said than done. Right? All of us have been in circumstances and situations where we need to trust God. And for whatever reason, it's a struggle. The circumstances are such... It's just not making sense to us. Maybe you feel like the, the disciples in the boat and the storm rises up. Jesus is taking a little nap, right? What was his response to them? Oh, ye of little faith. Oh, ye of little trust. You got Just trust me, guys. I said we were going the other side. I know, I know, I know, but the storm got really bad. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not so easily done. 
but oh so important if we want to find our way out of the powerless place. And, and a critical key to actually trusting God is the next part of the verse. Lean not on your own understanding. This is, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where the clash happens for us. The almighty, the all-powerful, the all-knowing God of the universe is telling us A. And yet every circumstance in our life is screaming B. It's hard to trust him when the circumstances are mounted against us. All of our lives we've been trained and conditioned since childhood to trust our understanding. Some of us, via education, have spent a small fortune cultivating our ability to trust, our ability to understand, and thus we trust it. The way of the kingdom is vastly different. His ways really are not our ways. And so what happens when on our journey, and I, we all face it, I know you all have, I certainly have more than once, when there's a conflict or a contradiction, a clash between my understanding and God's ways. It's at that point where trust is needed. If God and I lined up on everything, if all of my thoughts lined up with all of his thoughts, or more accurately, if I thought all of his thoughts lined up with all of my thoughts, I don't need to trust him, right? When, when do we need to trust? Well, we need to trust when things are not working out. Trust really isn't necessary because you're just doing light. Oh, yeah, it's good. I'm good with you. You're good with me. Just walking down the street. But when things are not working out, that's the point where trust has to be applied. So in that place, to help get out of the valley of the shadow of death, is when I encourage you to choose to trust him. <laughs> Even if it's but a mustard seed of trust, if that's all you got. Choose in that place to trust him. Why? Because the next part of the verse says, in all your ways submit to him, that's yielding your understanding to his understanding, and he will make your path straight, which is what we want. I don't think I'm taking this, I don't think I'm reading more into or taking this verse out of context at all. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Maybe, maybe your heart doesn't have much. Maybe there's only a little bit in there. But trust him with all of it. Lean not on your own understanding. That's, where the rub, that's the rub right there. Choose him. Submit your way to his way. I don't understand. This doesn't make sense. But these are your promises to me. This is what your word says. And in spite of the mounting evidence against it, I'm going to choose to trust you I'm going to choose to trust you. I'm going to submit my will to your will. Trusting that your ways are higher than my ways. I believe if we practice that, that eventually we'll begin to see the light at the end of the dark night time. And he will make our path straight. Time.
being, you know, following Christ doesn't always mean that we are going to understand it, or even that in this life we'll see it. And yet we still hang on to Him and trust Him. Amen. And that's exactly what you're saying here. Amen. I agree, brother. Thanks for sharing. So, John Paul Jackson used to say that in the absence of prophetic revelation, go with the wisdom you had. People would come to him often. John Paul, what should I do? Thus and so situation. And basically, you know, they wanted a prophetic word, but or maybe they'd already received prophetic words. And he said, if you have a promise from God, if God's spoken to you, if you have a dream, a vision, he's spoken to you in scripture, you got a personal prophetic word from someone, and you feel like it's credible, trust God in that. Trust him in it. And go with the promise. Hold on to it. Even unto death, hold on to it. He says, but in the absence of revelation, you're, you got a circumstance you're faced with, and you don't have any anything that you would put into the box divine, uh, labeled divine revelation. He said, go with the wisdom you have. And trust that God will lead you. And so... I offer that same counsel as you're trying to navigate your way out of a dark matter of the soul. If you have promises from God, and some of you do, hold on tight to those promises. He's faithful to his word. He's not faithful to doing it the way you expect him to do it, but he's faithful to his word. And in the absence of a specific promise from God for a specific circumstance that you're in, then use the wisdom he's given you. Trust the wisdom of some of wise friends. There's safety in the multitude of counsel, the scripture says. I says trust. Trust God. It's the hardest thing to do sometimes when we're in a dark night. Most important thing we could do. Trust him. He's worthy of trust. I keep trying to communicate to you just how good he is. Because sometimes we have a hard time trusting him because we've got some old tapes playing of an angry God who's ready to hammer us, and that's not him. But if I thought he was a good God, if I thought he loved me, if I thought he was there with me in the valley of the shadow of death, if I thought he was there to protect me, if I thought he didn't have an angry temper like my father did as a young man, it would be easier to trust him. So I'm trying to tell you, he's good. And he's trustworthy. How do we get out of the, the powerless place? Well, it begins with trust. Faith, hope, and love. So let's look at the hope. The Greek word here for hope is elpis. And the meaning of it is joyful. I like this in definition. Joyful and confident expectation of something good. Joyful and confident expectation of or something good. Hope. There is a path to hope. There is a pathway to hope. <laughs> and it's not an easy path. <laughs> it's a hard path. Listen to Paul's words in Romans 5. Romans 5 verses 1 to 3. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Okay, what does that mean? That's us. He's talking about the followers of Jesus. The ones who have been justified by, by faith and who have gained uh, this grace. That's us. That's the Jesus followers. Now this is the path to hope. Verses 4 and 5. Paul goes on, he says, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces Perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Sometimes the path to hope is hard. Now, let's be real for a second. Is there anyone in the room that could tell me 
I've never experienced suffering. We've, every one of us have. One form, shape, or another. We've suffered. We've suffered physically or emotionally or relationally, maybe spiritually. We've experienced some measure of suffering. I don't think there's I don't think there's any theological gymnastics that I could do in this text here. But I, but I I think it's plainly saying that there's a purpose. And there's a positive end. Now when we suffer and we persevere that it'll produce character in us. Good character, godly character. And out of that character will come home. Some of us are on the path to hope. So what does that mean? Practically, getting out of the powerless place. What does that mean? It means this. Don't quit. <laughs> Don't give up. Which, which step in that process are you? Are you in the suffering part right now? Just don't quit. Don't give up. Don't run away. Are, are you in the persevering phase? You're, you're doing the best you can. Stick. Well, stay there. Are you in the Are you in the phase where maybe you've processed through the suffering and the persevering, and now character is being developed in you? If that's the case, don't quit. Just don't jump ship. I think it's paraphrasing Corey Timboom. She said, if you're on a train and it goes through a dark tunnel, you don't jump off the train, right? Just don't jump ship. Because the light at the end of the tunnel is this. It's hope. At some point, you'll see that light. So what is Romans 5, verses 1 to 5 saying? More than anything else, it's saying, don't give up. Just hang in there. One day at a time, if necessary. That means something to some folks here. Heck, man, hour by hour, if you have to. Remembering this, his mercies are new every morning. It's like every day we get a fresh new song. So how do you, how do you get out of the powerless place? Just don't quit. Don't give up on faith. I've seen people give up on church. And sometimes I even understand that. I get it. We have our issues. <laughs> Don't give up on God. Don't give up on a relationship with Jesus. Just hang in there. Hope is promised to you. Get prayer. Cry on a friend's shoulder. Worship God by yourself. Put your earbuds in. Crank up your favorite worship song as loud as you can. Works for me. Until those embers of hope are <laughs> fanned to flame once again. Tom? I wanted to add to that that um, I've been around people who believe that if you continue to confess positively, you will experience healing or something like that. And I don't know if that's the case or not. But my word of encouragement to all of you would be that if you give up hope, God has not given up on you. Amen. And that he is still welcoming you back. So your performance of hanging on to hope is not the key to God's blessing your life. And so if you happen to lose hope, don't tell yourself, I failed and there's nothing left for me. Absolutely. Hopefully you know me well enough that I'm not espousing a performance-based Christianity and I'll really get, I'll really make my point um, driving that home at the end. But yes, Tom, I agree with you. And so um, I got this verse concerning hope. I have this verse printed and posted in my study. I like to remind myself with it every so often. Romans 15, 13. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him.
so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. How does the overflow of hope come? By my power? No, by the power of the Holy Spirit. What's the precursor to being filled with all joy and peace? By the God of hope? Excuse me, it's to be in a relationship of trust with him. It all goes back to relationship. There's a connection between hope and trust. And it said trust leads to hope. I'd like to, I'd like that experience of being overflowed with hope. How about you? I think that sounds awesome. So listen to me. The pathway to hope is to trust God in the darkness. And love, faith, hope, and love. The word for love here is agape, or agape. And it's the greatest of these, it tells us, is love. The greatest of these is agape. It's the highest caliber and quality of love. It's God's love. Love is the answer. Love is always the answer. I was told once, when you're not sure what to do, and it'll be often... <laughs> Choose love. It never fails. We read that verse earlier. It never fails. Listen to an encounter Jesus had in Mark chapter 12. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. When Jesus was asked, when God in the flesh was asked, what was most important? Jesus answered, love. Love God. Love one another. Love God with all you got. All your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. He said it's the most important. Look, sometimes when we've been in a powerless place for a long time, we just don't know what to do. Man, I prayed that prayer. Oh God, I don't know what to do. <laughs> oh God, I don't know what to do. When that's the case, my encouragement to you is go back to the basics. And we cannot get any more basic than this. Just love. If you don't know what to do, love God. And then love the next person in front of you. Just love. It doesn't need to be grand. It doesn't need to be you know, some you know, complicated, majestic thing. Just simply love. And love Him with all. And like I said before, if your measure of all is teeny tiny, then love him with the teeny tiny that you got. If your love tank is low, love him with all your strength. Well, if you haven't got much strength, it's not saying your strength tank has to be overflowing. Just love him with what you got. God, I'm really annoyed with you right now. You know, we haven't been doing things together the way I want to do things. You're not doing things the way I want them done. If we were honest, sometimes that's how we pray. I'm annoyed with you, God, because things haven't worked out the way I wanted them to. I had a plan, and it should have gone this way, and it went that way. So I'm pretty ticked off at you right now. But Tom said I should love you, so... <laughs> I only have a little bit of love to give you right now, but I'll give you that little bit. Do that. Just do that. Love God. And then love the person in front of you. Like Adam told him, if you do the first commandment, yeah. I think Jesus said the second one just seems to follow in the voice behind him. Yeah, I mean, the scripture tells us that we love because he first loved us. Right? right? And I'll get to that. Let me get to that point in a minute. You, you guys, you guys are on track. You're in front of me, man. You're, I'm trying to lead this train, but you're, 
pulling me down track. You guys are awesome. You might have heard me preach once or twice before. I don't know. This first church was started though, right? It was all back and forth. Oh, I love the interaction. I think it's wonderful. So I think sometimes when we do the most important things, love, love God, love one another, oftentimes the other things seem to find their place. And so, the moment you've all been waiting for. <laughs> Sounds great, Tom. <laughs> How do we do this? How do we actually get this done, you big jerk? <laughs> I'm in the palace place. You tell me, do this and do that. Do the other things. Thanks so much. I'm going to find a new church. You know? <laughs> How? I'm dying right now. Took all the strength I had just to get here this morning. How do I do this? How do I trust again? How do I hope again? How do I dare love again? And my answer to you is this. It's by grace. How? It's by grace. It's only by grace. It's by super abundant grace. Romans 5.20, the second half of the verse says this. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. You know what the word sin means there? It means to miss the mark. It means to make mistakes. It means to wander from the path, to go the wrong way, and to wander from God. I don't know. Sounds like the powerless place to me. Right? Sounds like the wilderness to me. Sounds like the dark night of the soul. So if you've made mistakes, if you've wandered, if you're wandering, if you're annoyed with God, Be encouraged. Because Paul wrote that where those mistakes and the wandering and the going the wrong way increased, grace increased all the more. There's more grace than there is dark night. There's more grace than there is wilderness. There's more grace than your powerlessness. Even if your powerless place has compound interest and that you're investing into it every day, more and more, Scripture tells us that grace increased all the more. Greek scholar Kenneth Wurst translates Romans 5, 20, the second half of that verse this way. He says, where sin existed in abundance, grace was in super abundance, and then more added on top of that. I love that. This is how he operates. There's more than enough grace. No matter how dark, there's more than enough grace. No matter how lost or how powerless, there is super abundant grace and more on top of that. A friend of mine used to tell a story when he was a kid in Boston. He would go down to the corner store. If there was a little extra money, he'd get a quart of ice cream. Right? And this is where he'd sit at the counter and they would scoop it right into the, into the container. He said he would sit up on that stool and look over. And he'd tell the guy, no, 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 press it down. <laughs> press it all the way. He wanted to fill that thing up. He wanted that cover to go on where the ice cream was leaking out. That's super abundance. Love that picture. How do we do this? How do we trust God? How do we persevere unto hope? How do we love God with all when our belly, my tank's running on fumes? We do it by grace. God's grace is greater. God's grace is super abundant and some more added on top. There is absolutely, there absolutely is grace for you today. Grace enough to actually be able to trust God again. Grace enough to hope God, to hope in God again. Grace enough to love God again. Be be encouraged. 
God said to the Apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. There is superabundant grace to hope and to trust and to love. There is superabundant grace to lead you out of the powerless place. We only are able to respond to God because of the initiation on his part. That he moved first. We love him. Not because love is in us or we have a capacity to love him. We love him because he first loved us. And because he first loved us, that means it's possible for us to trust him. It's possible for us to have hope again. So how do we apply? How do we tap into this source of grace? How do we do it? I know, I know of a good way to start. And that's to pray. It's to ask him. So let's ask him now. Oh God, we thank you for the existence of superabundant grace with some more added on top. And so we'd like to tap into that today. Lord, we feel weak, we feel broken, we feel powerless, and if some of us are brutally honest, we're a little annoyed with you. And we're not sure how to get out of it. Maybe it's part of the reason why we've been in this powerless place. And it's a powerless place. I don't have the power. So we come to you, broken, confused, frustrated, not having our acts together. We come because you said to. We're the weary and the heavy laden. You said come, so we come. Believing that you're not angry and you keep no account of our wrongs. that your love never fails. And Father, we ask, we ask for that grace, for another application, another layer of grace. I don't know why God speaks to me in pictures like this sometimes, but this is the kind of, like in, you grow up in New York and you order a bagel with a schmear. Anybody know what that is, a bagel with a schmear? Right? That's a cream cheese. Right? Now, in my house growing up, we were poor. So if there was cream cheese on the bagel, you'd need a micrometer to measure the thickness of that cream cheese. <laughs> you go to a bagel shop in Brooklyn and order a bagel with a schmear, man, they got to put like a quarter pound of cream cheese on that thing. Holy cow. Nice, thick layer. And as I'm praying for his grace, he says, I'm going to give you a bagel with a schmear. That's the kind. Lord, give us that kind of grace. Smear it on us, Lord. A nice thick layer. So we got to open wide and get a full bite. And let it taste good. Let it be life to us. Let your grace be life to us. Slap on us a thick layer of grace. Slap on us, Lord, some super abundant grace. Somewhere on top. So that, yes, we can, by your power, by your strength, trust again and hope again and love again. Give us that grace, Lord. Give us that capacity that we lack. Give us the capacity to trust you that we might finally exit the powerless place. Bestow on us and plant deep inside of us, Lord, divine hope that we would risk to hope again in your promises. Lord, your word says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Lord, would you come with your super abundant grace and heal our sick hearts? Take that off of us. Remove that reproach. Lord, your word says that we love because you first loved us. 
And so I ask that you who are love, not only remind us of the greatness and the lavishness, just how great and lavish your love is for us. Touch our hearts again with your great and lavish love. And give us the grace we need to love you in return. Guys, it's all about relationship. Understand this. That love and trust are at the essence of relationship. It's no, it really is no surprise that the way out of the powerless place is deeply relational. And so let, let me pray Romans 15, 13 over you this morning. Oh God, you who are called the God of all hope, God of all hope come and put deposits of grace in us that we might actually trust you. That we would take Actions based upon beliefs, sustained by confidence. Again, God of all hope, give us trust. Fill us with all joy and peace as we actually trust you again. And then, Lord, let this be the reality of our lives. That we would overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would open the floodgates of heaven and that you would rain down upon us grace, trust, and hope until it's overflown. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before, um, before we go to a final song, I got some words this morning. It doesn't happen too often, but... Every once in a while, God will give me some prophetic words, and I felt like I was supposed to hold on to them until the end of the service. And so, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I got seven words for seven folks here. And so, um, I have a friend, uh, Andy, visiting this morning, and um, when I got your message that you were coming to church today, I was sitting down with a sense, look, I, I think you want to give me words to some people. And your message came in right down. It's like, oh, do you have something for Andy? And this is what he told me. Uh, so be encouraged. He says that you've been faithful with little. And you're about to be entrusted with much. And that it's going to look very much, uh, I know that you're a fisherman, but it's going to look very much like when Jesus told Peter to cast the nets on the other side of the boat. And so, that's good. And um, and I felt like there was something for your wife as well. I didn't know she was going to be here today too. But um, I feel like the Lord is promising her healing from a nagging health issue. You don't have to tell me what. Is there some health issue that she's wrestling with? Well, just a small thing. It's not big. Okay. Some. It's a, the the term. The descriptive term I heard was nagging. Nagging health issue. Um, also, to let her know. Uh, the Papa is well pleased with her and that she's the apple of his eye. Um, for Nicole and Jesse, um, I felt like God is asking you to trust him again. Um, that there's something that you're wrestling with. I, I, you know, we talk and I know some of the things are on your life, but I don't know everything. I don't know if this is applying to anything that you've shared with me, but he's asking you to trust him again. Trust him with this. Maybe you're in that situation that I preached about this morning. Oh, trust, you know, trust has to be applied in circumstances where trust is needed. And anyway, God's asking you to trust him again. That there's something you're wrestling with. Uh, things aren't working out as expected, but God wants you to know that he's got this. And he wants you to know that he's got you. He wants you to know that he's got this and that he's got you. And by the look on your face, it seems like maybe that makes sense. Is Sam still here? Did Sam leave? Yes, Sam. Sam, um, I felt like the Lord was saying this morning that, that the outside is a reflection of the inside. Anybody knows Sam. You look at him lately, he's lost some weight, looking kind of buff. He's in pretty good shape from all the uh, rowing he's been doing. And I felt like the Lord was saying that the outside is a reflection of the inside. You're healthier on the outside. 
and you're healthier on the inside. Um, you've built up some muscle, and it's good. It's very good. Um, the outer strength, I think this is the most important part, that the outer strength is a picture of the inner strength. And that there's an inner strength, and I'm not sure what this applies to, but maybe you do. An inner strength to break patterns, to break free, to live free. And, um, and it's ultimately to this end, to set other people free. Um, that the Lord's saying that you're no longer a boy, that truly you've become a man. And so I feel like this is saying that you, know, you living free and setting other people free is for you putting aside childish things and, and stepping into the manhood of your faith. Any of that make sense to you? Okay. Um, and Colin, it's funny you guys like right next to each other because when I was writing this down, it's like, oh, I see on Colin some of the very same things I see on Sam. Um, a breaking of old patterns uh, to live a new and much freer way. Um, I feel like things, big stuff of life, will align quickly. And this is the picture that I have. Um, if you had a table full of magnets, and sometimes you play with them, and you just touch one magnet, and then, doo -doo 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 -doo, right, they all, all the all little magnets, magnets line up together. I feel like that's what God's about to do in your life, that um, he's about to align things, and it's going to happen that quickly. Like, as soon as the first thing comes in place, then the second, and then, boom, they're all going to line. Does that, any of that make sense to you? I share with you the level of revelation I have. Boy, I wish I could tell you names and dates and addresses. I don't get that stuff. But what I get, I'll be faithful to share. Travis and, and Kaylin. Um, um, looking at you this morning, and this is the sense I had, and I mean this as a compliment. I hope you take it that way. Um, I look at you guys, and it's like you're a younger version of Nadine and myself. Okay, I'm certainly old enough to be your dad. And, um, and I really felt, maybe you've never even heard of this song, but there's an old song by Stephen Curtis Chapman called The Great Adventure. Are you familiar with that artist or that song? Okay. He had an old song called The Great Adventure. And I remember just before Nadine and I left home and went to go plant a church in West Virginia, uh, like days before we left town, we were at a Lincoln Center in New York City. Friends of ours took us there to see a Stephen Curtis Chapman. Um, concert. It was amazing. And uh, I remember the night before were the double awards, the big thing, and he was the big winner that year. It just cleaned up. He got introduced, no mention of the awards. He came out with a guitar on his lap, sat at the edge of the stage, couldn't have been more humble, right? And one of the songs he played on this guitar was called The Great Adventure. And we were just about to go being launched into this great new adventure of planning a church in a place we'd, we'd never lived before. And, um, and I felt like that there's a great adventure for you guys. I'm not saying you're going to plant a church or anything like that, but in a similar way that there was this great adventure Nadine and I embarked on, that there's a great adventure you're about to embark on. I want encourage you, find that song, listen to the song. I'd be shocked if the words of the song don't resonate uh, uh, with you. I think it will. And I feel like this great adventure in God is going to start uh, very soon. Right. Yeah. Saddle up, brothers. <laughs> yep. Saddle up. That's saddle up your horses. That's how the song begins. Great song. Karina, um, um, I was sitting here writing right over there, and just I wrote down your name, and before I got the words, you came over and said hello. Okay. And so, and I I want to encourage you. God says that He is faithful uh, to to the promises in His Word uh, for your life. He wants you to know that he will never, ever leave you or forsake you. He wants you to know that he really is working all things together for your good. And he wants you to know that the plans he has for you, they are good plans. And they're plans for, to give you hope for a good future. Okay? So be encouraged. And last one, this is for Jill. Uh, when I greeted you this morning and, and got a hug um, from you, I just kind of felt like God just planted, dropped this in my heart. He said that he's heard your prayers for your grandchildren. And he wants you to know um, that he is promising you justice 
for all the injustices that there have been. And I felt like it's not just the injustices that they've experienced in their young lives. I think that there is justice that's kind of gone back through the years, maybe even a couple of generations, I don't know, but a long line of injustice. And he wants you to know that the, your prayers, God's going to answer your prayers this way, that the kids are going to get justice for all that injustice. Not just the, not the, just the injustice that they've experienced themselves, but it's kind of like you know, with compound interest over decades and decades and decades. Some big justices had headed their way. So I hope you guys are encouraged with that. I let, um, I let those words go on the um, recording and so you can catch it at the end of the sermon if, if you want to listen to it um, again. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sing a final song. Um, if you have a need for prayer for anything today, if, if something I share, if you need that grace, if you need that super abundant grace with something more on top, you know, because maybe you're struggling with trust or hope or, or, or love, or maybe you're still in a powerless place and, boy, you just want to find the exit. If you need prayer for any of that, please come forward this morning and, and during the final song, and there'll be people to, to pray for you. And um, Mike, what do you got?